Hello and a very warm welcome to In Orbit, the podcast exploring how technology from space is empowering a better world. Brought to you by the satellite applications Catapult. I'm your host, Dallas Campbell. And in this series, we'll be in conversation with some of the most inspiring minds in the country, exploring the ways that the UK is using space to make huge differences to our everyday lives, as well as gaining a better understanding of its role in shaping and sustaining our planet for the future. In today's episode, we are celebrating the Catapult's 10th anniversary, reflecting on a fantastic decade of groundbreaking innovations and achievements. And I'm joined in the studio by the CEO, Stuart Martin, by Nafisa Dida, Director of National Capabilities, and by Joel Friedman, who's the Head of Innovation Services. The satellite application Catapult has made remarkable strides in advancing satellite technology and its applications. Through innovation and development, the Catapult has made significant contributions to a whole host of different sectors, energizing these markets, empowering the use of new technologies and enabling businesses to exploit the power of space. Over the last 10 years, the Catapult has facilitated enhanced connectivity in remote areas. It's supported small island nations to build resistance to the devastating impacts of climate change. And it started our journey towards establishing a truly renewable energy source from space and much more besides, all while fostering collaborations between academia, businesses and government organisations, demonstrating their commitment to pushing the boundaries of satellite technology and leveraging its potential for the betterment of society. Welcome to the studio, Joel, Nafisa, Stuart. Happy birthday to you. Ten years... Good 10 years? Happy? I mean, it's just absolutely flown by is the truth of it. It's, is it? it's hard to imagine you know, that really the 10 years have passed since we started out. But then when you look back, so much has changed. So much has happened and uh, you know, so much has been achieved within the space sector. Honestly, everything changes so fast these days. I'm thinking about what the world was like 10 years ago. And it's crikey. It's totally different. I, but hold that thought, though. I'm going to come back to that. Maybe just for our listeners, maybe this is the first time they're listening to this podcast, Catapult. Maybe we just start with the origin story, like where it came, whose, whose bright idea was this? What was the original goal? What was the mission statement? Yes, well, why don't I dive in on that one then? Um, Where did so, they come up with the name Catapult as well? Oh, that was... Well, that's a whole story all by itself. But it, it was in the period leading up to 2010. We had an election in 2010, if you remember. And what happened was that in, in the, the back end of the previous administration, the Labour government, they commissioned a, re a report from Herman Hauser, a, a well-known British entrepreneur. I guess he's the closest we've got to someone like Steve Jobs, the founder of ARM uh, and uh, Acorn Computers, for those yes. of us of that generation. And of that generation. Uh, and they asked him to look at the, the perennial challenge that we have in the UK of why it is that we have some of the world's greatest universities, but we're not always as good, or we're not as good as some other countries who don't have such a great university system at taking the science that comes out and translating it into technology and, and economic outputs uh, as some other countries do. There's a blockage in the pipe. There's a blockage. There's something something's not working as well as it should do, and as well yeah. as it uh, as well as it could do. So he did a report into that. Uh, he looked into that, and his his suggestion was that we create a new type of technology innovation centre, TICS. Not a great name, but that was his uh, uh, that was his name at the time, uh, and uh, sort of slightly modelled on the Fraunhofer Institutes in Germany. For those Crikey, are, this, um, is, this is we're going deep here. What's the uh, the Frau, What was it? The Frau Fraunhofer. The Fraunhofer. Do you know about this? Yeah. What was uh, the unique kind of setup and innovation driving force in Germany that bring together universities and businesses. They're really well funded by German government and they're set set up to just break the trend, break the mould, produce some really high quality new products and services. Oh, when, when did this happen? Was this, is this as a recent It's been going thing? on for uh, many for years before the catapults were set up. Basically, am I meant to know about this? Is this a massive gap in my, in my general knowledge? They're, they're pretty well known. Okay. Many, many people do know. They've been going for about 60 years. Okay. So, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're not new kids on the block, but, right. but they are something very different that, you know, differentiates Germany from what we have in our system. And the interesting thing is that, you know, the Fraunhofer Institutes were actually set up 
by Brits in Germany as oh, part of the you know the rebuilding program after the war and how do we, how do we rebuild the German economy? They came mm. up with these Fraunhofer Institutes, which have now become you know a fundamental part of why the the, the German economy you know functions so well. That's it. So it's the kind of WD WD forty yes. getting getting everything. Well, yeah, there unstuck. you go. It's about yeah getting all the stakeholders to work together, understand where the blockages are, and yeah. just getting the whole system moving more smoothly. I think the WD forty is a great analogy, actually. Yes. So it took us a while yes, to work yes. out that perhaps we need something like that in the UK as well. Okay. Uh, and so that's what, you know, cutting a long story short, that's what led to the creation of the catapults. And so just, and so there's a few catapults. I mean, we, here we are, the satellite catapult, but there's other ones as well, which are reminding. There are nine altogether. Yes. So this, isn't a, this isn't well, a GCSE test, like a test, by the way. We'll give it a go. It's, there's, oh, there's a medically <laughs> one. medical devices. Yeah. Selangene discovery. Selangene therapy. Yeah. No, no, I'll get it wrong now. I'm sure in your mind, energy the catapult, down, so digital catapult. We've got uh, connected, connected places, places catapult. Our friends at Compound Semiconductor Applications catapult. High value manufacturing. I can't forget those ones. Yeah. Um, Don't forget those ones. Energy systems. Energy systems. Medicines discovery. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think we've got pretty much all of them. And there. what do those catapult, what do those things represent in terms of the British economy or society? What, why these things? Are these, presumably they're important, but... What I mean, they all, they all, they all they? represent emerging technologies, mm. uh, and this is where we, you know, where we struggle. Where we have established technologies, established industries, you know, aerospace, pharmaceuticals, automotive, then the innovation system works pretty well. We've got, mm. you know, we've got um, great universities, great you know, technology companies, and also yeah. we've got, you know, the industries at the back end that take advantage of all this. This all works, so the innovation system end-to-end -end functions. But when you have a new emerging technology come through, so you have some new science, and then somebody works out that actually there's something useful you can do with this new science, so you create a new technology. But then what happens is that you don't have the industry in place that can take that technology to market, and right. you don't have... You know, a, a bedrock of customers who know how to use it and, and are there creating demand. Right. And so it takes, so the, with those two bits missing, it takes a bit of, bit of effort to try and stimulate the, the creation of the industry. And that's, where the, that's what all the catapults do. So that's the thing that sort of unites the mission of all the catapults. Interesting. So, so basically, you, I mean, the, you, you've had a broad remit over the last 10 years. And in terms of, if we go back to our WD-40 mm. analogy, your spray is quite broad in terms of, what you do and how you how you sort of unblock those blockages, how you smooth that that path from academia to industry. Yeah, and there's no easy solution to any of it. So, despite having the catapults, you know the the challenge of helping academics um, apply their research to real yeah. world challenges continues to exist. And there's lots of different mechanisms out there to support that translation. The catapults one of those mechanisms, and it's a successful mechanism. Okay, what big changes have we seen in the sector in the last 10 years? So maybe just sort of, Nafisa, Joel, take us through, paint a picture for us of the last 10 years. What are the big changes that have, that have happened? Ooh, I think um, one of the big changes is uh, access to launch and the cost of satellites as so well. Ten, so, so 10 years ago... There was no SpaceX. And there was no, you know, the landscape used to be more around um, kind of government-backed launches, big, um, you know, space agencies. Yeah. The the change in the kind of private sector space activity is huge. It's absolutely transformational. And, you know, the, the accessibility of space, if I had to categorize it, that would probably be one of the biggest things. And that's accessibility as in being able to build satellites, they've got a lot smaller, a lot cheaper, people are putting up more of them. You know, being able to get stuff into space is more accessible and being able to get the data and use it is more accessible. You don't have to be a data scientist now to use Earth Observation. Everybody uses Google Maps and Google Earth. You know, you don't have to have a supercomputer to store and process. All of this stuff is on the cloud. So the amount of things people can do with the data compared to what they maybe could or thought they could do initially has changed completely. And therefore, the kind of amount of innovation happening in the space sector has totally transformed. I'm amazed. Well, the, the speed of change amazes me. But then how quickly we get used to things amazes me as well. The fact that all those things that you just mentioned 10 years ago didn't exist. And now, of course, well, you know, I don't think about anything when I look at Google Earth. Well, I suppose Google Earth's been around for a bit longer than 10 years. Mm -hmm. But, but so 10 years ago, if I wanted to put a satellite into orbit, how big would have my satellite have been and how much would it have cost and what does it cost now? Oof. 
I mean, that's, that's, yeah, so that's I an guess, unfair question, but just generally. Ten years ago, we were trying to, we were at the, um, the start, I guess, of the new space revolution. So people were um, beginning to become more accustomed to building smaller satellites and putting them into low Earth orbit rather than putting satellites into geostationary orbit. And actually, as a catapult, we were around just at the right time to help businesses that were trying to manufacture their own small satellites start to improve some of the ways they might do that, engage with customers as well that could potentially buy the data from these smaller satellites. Mm. So the cost has gone down hugely. Launch availability has gone up at the same time. And the numbers of potential customers from different markets has also increased. And our catapult has really been at the hub of bringing customers together with people building satellites, yeah. with data providers. And it's really been the kind of sweet spot for us as a catapult. What about the sort of number of companies? I mean, sort of 10 years ago, were there lots of people in the UK? I mean, I can think of a few satellite companies. Well, and what is it like now? I mean, the interesting thing is 10 years ago when we started out, it's it's almost unimaginable now, but there was no startup community at all in space. I mean, so much so that when we wrote the first proposal for the uh, for the catapult, you know, to make the case for funding and, and starting it up, yeah, you know, we had to make up uh, some fictional case studies for companies that you would... lied to, in order to get funding. <laughs> uh, we we did. I don't think lying is maybe Massage. stretching the point a bit, but we created some um, you know example companies of you know we, created, right. we gave them, yeah, yeah. we gave them we gave them logos, we gave them backstories for the CEOs and you know what their mission was, and then and then we talked through how the catapult, if it exists, would help them mm. uh, and you know help them you know get to market and actually be successful. And it's actually surprising how many of those examples case studies that we wrote in that report have actually now come to fruition some so I think some of the things like the emergency services communications and things like that mm. were all there you know the companies didn't exist but we were we were sort of seeing how they might and I think that is one of the fundamental parts of the catapult actually that made us quite unique and and still makes us quite unique is taking a user-centered approach so this idea of creating personas to try and work out what your service should do means you're not just coming up with an abstract here's how we should operate as a business you're thinking who's going to benefit from this what needs do they have and how do we design a service around that and and not only was that done to kind of fundamentally think through what the catapult should do but we do that as one of our kind of core approaches to the development of space technology. 10 years ago, it was very technology driven. Can you make things faster, better, smaller, more processing? A lot of the work we were doing and, and still do was where are the big challenges globally that can be solved? Can we go and talk to those end users, those people who are not even thinking about space as being relevant to solving their problems and understand their challenges? That's, so 10 years ago, I think, is it right to say that people didn't really have an idea? Well, if technology hasn't been invented, you're not going to have an idea. But you guys did of, of the potential that space has for various different companies and various different okay, so areas. The, te the technology was there and the data was there. Yeah. The challenge was how to get the data from companies, big companies that own that data, out into the marketplace. So how did you engage with people that had challenges such as growing vegetables in a farm, monitoring their crops, looking at how you might uh, look at cities, flooding? How do you create an environment for businesses to produce new services that will solve end user challenges? Mm. And how do you get that data to them at a low cost, ultimately? Mm and take it from kind of bigger companies that are very used to owning and using mm. that data out into the marketplace. And again, that was uh, very much a role for, for us as a catapult. Yeah. I mean, we could see this proliferation of, of satellites and technology that was coming. There was, there was a trickle of data in those days at the starting, but we knew that was going to scale massively over the, you know, even in the, in the first two or three years. Uh, and trying to work out how do we work with end users who you know, never even thought of space as being anything to do with you know their industry or their business and actually help them understand that you know actually space technology is, is a part of their toolkit is a tool they have in their toolkit to solve the challenges that they're facing particularly challenges around sustainability uh, environmental responsibility and where you know where we've been using satellites for many years to help understand the problems you know now's the time that we can start to use it to try and find solutions as well i mean it's pretty fundamental i mean now we we think about the space industry as being completely fundamental mm. 10 years ago maybe less so definitely less accessible i think it was 
the idea of using space technology would have seemed very expensive, very removed, yeah. but companies might have thought they don't have the right expertise, the right skills, the right computing power. You know, it just, it might have seemed a kind of excessive and far off solution. The realms of governments and large organizations, not the realm of a local council mm. or of, you know, someone who's doing kind of building flood defenses. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about the companies, because companies are really at the heart of what the catapult is about and, and supporting companies and introducing companies and creating a, an environment where companies can thrive. I'm just wondering if you could give us maybe some examples of success stories, things that you perhaps personally you've been really impressed by or you've been excited by or things you've been interested in, companies you've been... Okay, I mean, may maybe to start with, I was we'll talk about how we got to there being some companies mm. from from the, that starting point where there weren't any. Very early on, we recognised that part of the reason why there wasn't a startup um, system around space was because there was no venture capital. There was no private capital going into space. So the very first thing that we did was work with a, a number of venture capital companies, try and help them understand the opportunity from space and actually start to dip their toe in and start. And, and was that easy or was bit. that hard? It was really hard. It because was, people just didn't see the opportunities or. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. And people saw space as being very high cost, high risk, mm. long timescales, all the things that, you know, actually venture capital doesn't really want to do. And, mm. and, and uh, so, uh, you know, we had to sort of demystify that, explain actually, you know, some of it is, but actually a large part of it isn't. And some of it's getting quite close to market and some of it start, you know, has the potential to generate short term returns. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe, maybe that's the transition into uh, one of the companies. So when we moved into our building in Harwell, there were actually a number of other companies in it. And, you know, gradually as we grew and as a few companies started to move in, we need to start to, to move some of the other companies out. And so we, we were gradually sort of making space for, you know, for ourselves to expand and for other companies to come in and base themselves in our building who we were, we were working with. And I went to see one of the other tenants of the building who's a venture capital firm and, you know, knocked on the door and, and said, oh, yeah, OK, you've come to tell us we have to leave, haven't you? I said, no, no, you can stay. Uh, and you uh, have to said, invest in us. Well, and, and, um, and he said, Really? Um, but you do know we're never going to invest in a space company, don't you? Why did uh, they say that? Because, you know, that that, it, that was the prevailing view. Right. It was, you know, space, oh, no, that's not ready for investment. It's not It's not mature yet. It's uh, It may be the time will come, but that's not where we're focusing. So, um, but I said, no, that's fine. We want you to stay here. It's, uh, you know, uh, you're very welcome to stay here. And, uh, you yeah, we'll, know, we'll, we'll continue to engage with you. And then a few months later, one of the very first businesses that did get up and going was a guy called Mike Lawton. He had an idea for a company which is now going strong called Oxford Space Systems. He had a sort of a technology based on sort of origami techniques for unfurling structures in space, for deploying antennas and deploying you know, other instruments in space using you know, very simple, well-known technologies around origami and other, other geometric Sounds very tools. Buckminster Fuller. But uh, and, and, of... but it was exactly the sort of thing that these small satellites needed. They needed simple, reliable ways of you know once you launch in space to just become bigger and to you know to make antennas and structure and for yeah. structures in space so that they could start communicating. So, and, so these and guys came. Function. These guys came to you and explained this, and you were like, "That's a brilliant idea. We can help you." So we we worked with him, and he at the moment he was still working in another company. He but, so this was you know very much a nascent idea. So we helped him sort of think about his early business case when he was a bit further along we gave him some room in our building to sort of start incubate his company and then you know within a few months we were here you know he's doing his first investment round and guess what his founder investor is the one who was who was in the corner of our building and who didn't never want to invest in space was it a bit like dragon's den we kind of yeah well sorry. so actually oxford space systems was one of the first businesses I ran, we ran our kind of business support sessions for where we would get sort of a designer, a business strategist, technology expert together. And one of the conversations at the time, because they, they knew they were going for investment and they were saying, the thing is, it's the messaging. And, and that's a problem for a lot of technical businesses, right? How do you make people care about this thing you're doing, which might seem quite technical on the face of it? And they were saying, it's just, we've got these two products and they just seem so different. How do we unify it? And they say, we've got this antenna and we've got this big kind of unfurling boom type thing. So they, they had these different products. One was this big round thing. One was a kind of longer stick. And they were like, you know, it just doesn't seem unified. And as we talked it through the narrative of, okay, well, don't think about, 
you know, that you make this antenna or you make this boom. Think about the fact that what you do is you help with one of the biggest problems with launch, which is launch is expensive, space is at a premium, you want things to be light, you want them to be small, but when you're in space, you want them to be big. big yes, you want yes, your antennas yes, to be big. Yeah, yeah. What you provide is the expertise to create these deployable structures that everyone is going to need, exactly like Stuart just said. Mm. And that change in narrative. I'm not trying to take all the credit for their success. Joel, you can take all the credit. I'm just saying that, but when we had that, that moment in the room, we've had lots of those over the years, you could see all of a sudden there was this narrative around it that they could just explain to people. And it, it you know, that's a really nice example of demystifying space technology and making people understand and care. I'm a big fan of keeping things simple. I, honestly, I, as you say, just being able to communicate a simple idea or a simple story is that seems to be the the way forward in life and that's that's kind of so the piece that joel's kind of brushed over very quickly is this really unique capability that we have at the catapult which is bringing a user-centered designer together with a technology expert with a business mm, strategist yeah. in this unique combination of people from with completely different perspectives to look at your problem to look at who your customers are your end yes. users and that's that's been the role that joel and others in the catapult have played for a really long time and one of the things I notice about sort of everyone who seems to work at the catapult going through everyone's LinkedIn. <laughs> everyone comes from different backgrounds. You're not yeah. all like space geeks or space people. We are now. You are now, mm -hmm. but like some of you like they study ph space geeks. philosophy. Yeah, so. what, what did you study? So in? I did a PhD in chemistry. So absolutely nothing to do with Well, it's kind of space-ish. No. Isn't I mean, one of the things that... Well, yeah. But not, I mean, not directly. No, but, but I worked in the telecom sector okay. and that is more relevant to, to the work that we do around satcoms now. So there's a chemist, uh, Joel, did you? Product design and engineering. So totally okay. technology agnostic, but the design process, that was my thing. And Stuart? Just... I'm a physicist and I've worked in the space okay, industry. There we go. All right, you were allowed to have one person. One of us has to be. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, but when we started out, I mean, our plan, we had to recruit close to 100 people in a year. And we realized very quickly that if we take 100 people out of the existing space industry and put them in the catapult in that sort of time frame, we're going to be crippling the industry we're here to try and help. Yeah. Uh, and so, we, so we, we made the decision, well, no more than a quarter of the people we recruit for that first year are going to come from the space sector. Every, we, all, we all know else. our numbers, Stuart. We know uh, what number employee we uh, yeah, are as well. Yeah. Really? Yeah. What yeah. number? Because you you're all lifers yeah. here. You, you've been here nine years? Or He's nearly oh, 10. Yeah, I'll be 10. Nearly 10 years. years. Nine, uh, nine and a half. And you employ number 80? Yeah. Stuart? One. Mm -hmm. Oh, what a shove. There's nobody... <laughs> but let's talk about... I want to talk a little bit about nurturing, actually. So you, we've sort of, we're sort of heading in that direction. So these companies' ideas... It's creating a, a sense of community, I feel, that the catapult is important. I mean, I mean I'm think, thinking things... You have things like... Satuccino nights. Oh, love, love our Satuccino. Can you just explain what a Satuccino yeah, is? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's our... It is, been a, a networking event that we put together almost at the start of the catapult that brought together anyone working in the space sector to our building once a month. We used to provide them with just plain old ordinary coffees, but uh, one day we thought, wouldn't it be awesome if we could take a latte and put a, a satellite on top of it? So I went to my designer friend, Joel, <laughs> who used our first 3D printer at the catapult to print out this uh, template for the chocolate yeah and we named the the networking event Satuccino. I'm not kidding actually I think you can judge an organization by the quality of its coffee I mean it doesn't have to be like We've super fancy had, but just we have had good coffee but good coffee yes. I think is like and we have a coffee shop in the in the corner yeah. of the building that's been there from day one okay so it's been yeah yeah and, and, one, and the kind of the size of the coffee machines in the in our staff kitchens has had to keep mm. increasing to keep yeah. up mm -hmm. with demand. You know, a lot of innovation, a lot of coffee mm -hmm. needed. Exactly, no. coffee is what fuels innovation. They, those, sure. yeah, what's been really interesting over the years, um, and obviously it's changed since lockdown. Was those times you would just go and get coffee? You would go and talk to someone else. What are you working on? What are you working on? And you, you would it. find these yeah. moments where mm. these connections between people who just maybe wouldn't have even. And that's, met. I mean, I always. I always talk about this, you, you know, the importance of actually bumping into people in the corridor. It's the, you know, it's the spaces between notes that are important in music. And likewise, when it comes to innovation, it's the stuff that happens in between meetings that goes Absolutely. on in corridors. Yep. And I mean, we you sort of conscious of that when this was set up? We, want, we want to be networking and I mean, we, social we, events. Um, and so we, we needed to create 
an environment where serendipity could thrive. Yes. And that, that's kind of the, you know, and that, you know, yes. it doesn't always happen and by accident. It's, yeah. but, you, but if you create an environment where people do meet from different sectors, different communities exactly. and can have, you know, conversations and, you know, we can seed those conversations with themed events. And so that, you know, we'll give them something common to talk about. And then, and then you know, the, the really rewarding things that I do hear about, and I'm, I know you're going to ask me an example in a minute, and I'm going to struggle, is when somebody comes to, comes to me and tells me, oh, you, you know, that event you ran two years ago, that's where I met so-and-so, and then we've been in contact ever since, and now this is happening as a consequence of that. And, you know, those kind of things are really difficult to track, and you only ever hear about them, you know, as anecdotes afterwards. Drunk and but, um, but, they're, but they're fantastic to see. Okay, you see, yeah. it does work. It really does work. Yeah. I mean, I, it's funny, actually, I did another, another podcast and we did a thing about the, the invention of the open plan office. It was really interesting because it was all about that. It was so like we've a, always been open plan. Yeah. And, and because, Stuart and, the, and all of our exec have always sat with us as well. They've, there's never been this kind of segregation of staff or any kind of feel of yes. hierarchy, particularly yeah. when we're in startup mode at the beginning. Where everyone had to muck in and do... Stuart down with that this kind of, as the boss as he... Down with that no hierarchy thing, or is, you is, no, it. does he yeah, no, rule, does he rule with a rod I've, of? I mean, when, no. when iron. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's leaving now. He can say anything. He, by the way, Stuart, Stuart had, can let it all hang out now. He's like, I'm leaving. I can. Stuart I can, had chickens, and he used to bring eggs into the office for us all. Yeah, I need to start doing that again now because yeah, we we're getting lots that. of eggs again now. But yeah, I mean, it was yeah, it was. It was nice, and then there was a there was a cult. Everyone used to bring cakes in at the weekends, or whenever anyone had a birthday, then there yeah. was always cakes around, and it was it was a very a very strong community feel. Well, you created a culture, really, or helped to, yeah. to, to develop a mm. culture of of interesting, creative people and things. Yeah, that, I think what you were saying earlier about people coming from outside of the space sector. Mm had a big part to play in that because it wasn't people who had just been doing things the same way for many years. It was people with different views and different experiences and different connections. And everyone was able to kind of bring yeah. that to what we were doing. And, you know, and we invited businesses into that. I think, you know, the co-spaces, I think that, that we put in the catapult you know, Nafisa, you championed that. Yeah, so co-spaces were always something that we want. We wanted a soft landing space for companies to get to know the catapult we wanted businesses to it didn't matter where you were in the country to be able to come and spend some time in the catapults as well so one of the things we did prior to lockdown for a couple of years was to have this co-space where businesses could come and get a, a desk in an office and and that wasn't good enough for us it didn't feel putting them separately in an office mm. didn't make them integrate with the catapult so we actually moved our business strategy teams and and our team um, out to go and sit with the businesses so that we could actually get to know them understand what they were working on we ran coffee um, stand-up coffee kind of events in the room ad hoc sessions just to engage with the businesses better our, mm. our focus has always been to kind of really understand what's going on with the business so we can best support them Great. We've talked about the various companies that you champion and, and nurture, but the facilities themselves, that's another important bit of the catapult. So who wants to... Well, the facilities there, like there are antenna test ranges, there's like a propulsion test area, there's robotic arms that let you look at how, you can't see the movements that I'm doing, but how different things would uh, engage with each other in space held by two robotic arms. Yeah, we've yeah. got a drone uh, test lab. These are facilities that if you were a startup company um, trying to develop in this in these technology areas, you wouldn't be able to buy them. No. You, you, there's no way you would be able to afford investing in them. So how do you get that access? And the investment that's been made by the Catapult and partners has created a whole number of facilities across the UK that mean people get access to those test environments that they need when they're developing their services for either for free or funded or for you know a, a fraction of the cost they might have to and that is part of i think the way we sort of unlock and, and empower technology so and that's your own i mean do, do you also put them in touch with people like space park leicester and, and yeah. these new facilities like, absolutely like, like absolutely yeah. yeah i mean i think there's another way of looking at this as well is that um you know when when the space industry is fully mature, and I'm talking about the, you know, the, the new commercial space industry, um, then there will be companies around who provide clean rooms, who provide uh, test facilities, mm. who provide these sort of you know, enabling services that eventually the whole industry will rely on. But 
at the moment, while that industry is in formation, they don't exist. Mm. And so companies are faced with uh, you know, having to do them themselves and actually invest in facilities that they don't really want. It's yeah. just that they have to buy because there's no other way of doing it. So if we can fill those gaps, then we can you know, remove some of those obstacles yeah, for so new it's easier. into the market. So they don't, they don't have to think yeah. about, crikey, where are we going to get a clean room from? Absolutely. Can, they can focus can... on the things that they want to focus on. Yeah. And then you know, we just take all those worries away and then... you know. Finding these facilities is a challenge, though, for any business. If you're an SME down in Cornwall and you need a particular bit of kit, how are you going to spend hours on the internet searching for that piece of kit? So actually, we've created a virtual space and enterprise community platform where we encourage people to just post a question on, say, I'm looking for this expertise, I'm looking for this particular facility, and the community responds. You know, it's a great way, rather than keeping a database of yeah. what exists, having a community that are able to respond to a request really quickly, maybe at the other end of the country, is what it's all about. Do you have your, do you have your catapult Facebook page community, community thing where it says, I'm looking for a bolt that will fit a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, three yeah, quarter inch. There, there's like definitely been some very, you know, um, specific requests for like technical expertise that you know within a few hours of posting something yeah. on on this, you know, it's the equivalent of almost like a little bit of a space LinkedIn, less social media, more just requests, funding opportunities, yeah. events. You know, they get responses, and yeah. uh, and that in itself has been a kind of response to the fact that as we've grown this network and ecosystem. You know, people don't always hear about what's going on. They might miss a funding call because they weren't on some meeting. Actually, yeah. having this one place has been really useful. And the work that's been done on our website to, to help people search facilities has been huge. I think really it, it makes it kind of a lot more accessible to see what's out there, what we own, what other people own. You know, Buckinghamshire, local enterprise partnership. Like they've they've invested loads in some incredible facilities. And actually what we want to try and do is publicize that so that no matter where you are in the UK, you can use that. And we want to do that for anyone who is developing facilities is make sure that the people who are hearing about it are all over the UK mm -hmm. uh, as well and, and accessing it. I think that's a, a really kind of collaborative activity going on. I want to talk a little bit about um, government as well and how government attitudes and government directions in the space sector has changed over the last 10 years as well. I mean, what, was the, what were governments talking about 10 years ago and what's happened in the, in the intervening time? Everyone's looking at Stuart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's in some ways not much has changed. We're still most of the UK funding. We have a strategy, though. Space. We've got a published yeah. strategy now. Yeah, which is we do. And we had actually, in, in, as part of when the catapult was created, we have what was called the Innovation and Growth Strategy that was published in 2010. That was, and that, but that was it was made, it only dealt with the civil part, and it right. was and it was it was developed between government and industry and academia. Uh, and that's where the space launch came from. Yeah, mm. that's where the first commitment to UK launch came from. Uh, but now we've got this, you know, this this national strategy that w that is written by government together and brings together the civil and defence part. So that's very that's for definitely very new. So mm. that that's moved on. And uh, still, most of our spend, uh, particularly on the civil spend, goes through the European Space Agency. And obviously, we're now in a slightly different relationship with the European Space Agency because of um, you know, post Brexit. But I mean. What we have seen, I think, is a, a recognition that you know, the space industry globally is in a transition from a predominantly government-funded science right, and, um, yes. and sort of defence-led yeah, yeah. sector to a, a very commercially-driven sector where the opportunities are you know, right across the economy. I, I don't think there's any industrial sector that we've not worked in at some point over the last 10 years because of, of there are opportunities to use space technology to help them improve some aspects of their delivery. And I suppose 10 years ago, that was around about... Was the UK Space Agency must have been about They were, they were created about the same time as we were. Yeah, yes, absolutely. And also in America as well, things like Space Command. There's all, all kinds of, sort of government initiatives now yeah i mean so this. space has become you know the the fourth domain of economic activity so land sea air and now we've got yes. space as well and, and so it's become a, a domain where you know conflict can happen sadly as well as economic activity so well, so it, yeah. it makes it a very important um defense domain too. that's interesting do we need to start thinking of low earth orbit or orbits generally do we need to or, that area close to Earth as a as a sort of continent, as it were, or a sort of separate 
bit of land that needs more rules and regulations and well, at the moment, slightly off topic here. Yeah, I know, no, I, I mean, I just, the, at the moment, it's being, um, you know, it, it's managed as if it's the ocean, the, the high seas. Oh, just so it has maritime. So space law is modelled on maritime law. So, mm. uh, you know, every country is responsible for the asset that they put in space, just mm -hmm. like they're, you know, just like you have flag states for ships. It's, it's very similar. I don't think anyone's proposing changing that, but we do need, with the volume of uh, you know, launch that's happening now, the volume of material that's being launched into space, I think you know, we relied on the fact that space was very big, so collisions were unlikely. I think we do need a better way of managing that, that airspace now. Yeah, Space is massive, as Douglas Adams told us at the beginning of The Hitchhiker's yeah. Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, I remember someone very early on in in my career at the Catapult, telling me that the chances of two satellites colliding, because people then were worried about it, um, was like two people on opposite sides of the Grand Canyon firing guns at each other and the, the chances of the bullets hitting. That was the analogy yeah. they used. So that's, that was the vastness and the smallness of satellites. Yeah. What I don't know is the number of satellites up there now has increased so much that actually well, that, that statistic might be very different. Yeah, I don't know. And I think, yeah, I mean, it's one of the things we sort of talk about a lot is is, is that issue and what happens. You know, we saw relatively rec recently, was it, I think, yeah, I think it was Russia who shot down a, one of their own dead satellites and, of course, created all kinds of debris and, and you get yeah, into they've been world a of, of I mean, world and, of and that's the challenge. I mean, the problem or the risk is it's the it's how you get the, the probability of a, of a collision happening. Uh, multiply the consequence of it happening. So, because the the consequence is very high because of the you know the speed that these things are moving at. Then when they collide at you know fifteen kilometers a second, yeah, uh, into each other, then you know that's going to be a quite a, a catastrophic event. And you can send debris everywhere. Then, which then has chance, obviously, more chance of. Of, um, there's a of name for it, I can't remember. It's the, the Kessler, Kessler effect. The Kessler yeah, yeah. Syndrome, yeah. The, sounds like a sci-fi movie. It's, it's a, it's a it's cascading like... effect that once you get into, yeah, you know, when when you just it, you get you create a chain reaction where it just. Uh... But it's a commercial opportunity right, as well. Uh, debris removal. Yeah. You know, people yeah. to, to clean up or people to That's maintain big... satellites. Yeah, is it Ocean Mind? Who's it? Who? Mm -hmm. It's no. Astro Scale. Astro Scale. Sorry, yeah, yeah. It's on ocean. Yeah, sorry. And uh, and, and so that's you know those commercial opportunities i think yeah that's also been one of the interesting changes i've seen is in in the earlier days the majority from from my side of the things we were working on were it was in space for earth it was terrestrial applications you know we were working with environment agencies governments emergency services using space data whereas more recently you know, we're moving into this new frontier of in-orbit services and manufacturing and debris removal and you know even things moving to lunar and you know actually there's there's a, a new wave of entrepreneurialism in the space sector which is now in these areas and that's a whole yeah a, a whole new frontier of innovation yeah and when you come to you know these these days best practices that once a satellite is is uh, defunct or out of service then you move it to a low orbit and you burn it up in the atmosphere but you know for how long is that going to be a, a, an economically viable or a sustain, you know, environmentally sustainable uh, uh, yeah. well, solution. So, so you know, maybe we need to think about having junkyards in space and actually use the material that we've put up into space at great expense as raw material for you know manufacturing or or some other industrial process that we can bring up to space as another economic activity. So the whole the whole process now of industrializing low Earth orbit and thinking about how do we how do we put industry into space is uh, I think it's a very exciting prospect that we're gonna you know, we're gonna be reaching in a relatively short time frame. The crazy thing is that all of everything now depends pretty much on our activities in low Earth orbit. I mean, every sort of facet of civilization is now becoming increasingly dependent on... I think in the, in the, in the current um, UK Space Size and Health Survey, I think they estimate 18% of our economy, and this is a, they recognise this as a very conservative estimate, 18% of the UK economy relies on space, hmm. one form or another. Wow. And just and give me an idea about how... Just for the catapult, I, I realise we've digressed into into space debris, but give me a, an idea of how useful the government has been for you, how supportive they've been and some of the things they've... For the things that we've been doing, they've been hugely supportive. We've got a brilliant partnership with UK Space Agency around growing the UK space ecosystem. Mm. So it's really trying to recognise that there are businesses all across the UK that are doing brilliant things for the space sector. There are universities across the UK that are 
churning out brilliant academic insights as well as skilled and trained people and bringing those things together around the UK has been really important for us. We've actually done that completely in partnership with the Space Agency mm. who um, also support our business support programmes. They have their own business acceleration programmes that we're part of. And the most exciting thing I think that we have done as a as a catapult with agency has been around um, internships for people to get an insight into the space sector. Yes. So it's a program that started off with a handful of interns being supported 10 years ago to over a hundred being placed into the space sector this year. And, and, and that for me is incredibly important. Those people that gain those experiences just over eight weeks in their summer holidays, they're paid for internships. Actually, a lot of them end up being recruited by those businesses when they finish their studies or, or for whatever career stage they're at. And hearing those individuals, seeing those individuals, as we've been around for 10 years now, you know, you see people actually um, leading businesses that they used to be part of. And for me, that's hugely satisfying. But absolutely, we've had the support from Space Agency on that. And presumably those people are coming from a, a, a diverse backgrounds and areas of expertise and different educational backgrounds and different geographic backgrounds as well. Yeah, the space sector needs every kind of yes. person, right? So uh, I, I looked yeah. at the, the kind of the jobs that were out um, in the community uh, a few months ago and 60% of those jobs had nothing to do with being a space engineer or being able to do anything particularly spacey. There were jobs for bid managers, project managers, accountants, finance, marketeers. Mm. The support that you need to grow a space business is more than just an engineer or a, a you know or a technologist. It's you need everybody. It's very multifaceted. Yeah, yeah I yeah. mean, has it's the just, it's has a business the, at heart. So, has so, has uh, the yeah. public kind of perception of space? Have you seen a, a, a change in the last ten years about what the general public think about it? Because I think there's still a yeah. problem. I still think people's you know, if you talk to my mum, it's like, well, she's heard of Jeff Bezos blasting millionaires I mean, into space. I was going to say billionaires and rocket and sort of. But, okay. Big rockets is what most people think. Exactly. So, but why? Yeah. But why do they? I mean, obviously, because it's on the news. But why do people not see what's behind that? I think. I think it's because you know space is invisible. Space infrastructure is largely invisible. Apart, you know, unless you make the effort to go out and watch the space station go by or a Starlink constellation launch go by, then most people have no idea you know, where space infrastructure is or the impact that it has. I mean, still many people, you know, looking at satellite navigation devices that you put on the dashboard in your car. You know, they look at the so what on earth has this got to do with satellites? It's just a box that tells me where I am. Yeah. It's uh, it's so that that link to the the services that satellite provides and the space infrastructure itself is is just too invisible for people. I'd say there's there's been more dialogue around um, spaceports right recently, which has changed Lots, some yeah. of that and in almost a good way some of the resistance that came to that. So I know that in Cornwall they had Extinction Rebellion saying, you know, why are you doing this on our patch? We don't want this. It's going to be polluting. And, you know, they were able to, number one, start to tell the story of, well, actually, you know, from a climate change perspective. The you know, reason as, you, as know you know about climate change right. is because we have satellites. Exactly, exactly. And then what they did is I think they invited representatives from Extinction Rebellion onto their like advisory board. Yeah. They said, we want to create um, a responsible and ethical strategy for space. Scotland has done the same thing. They've absolutely championed they indeed, yeah. responsible, you know, sustainable, yep. sustainability roadmap for space. Um, looking at anything using space data on Earth, yeah. where is that coming from? You know, how did it get made? How did it get launched? Where did it come from? So, you know, in a way, the UK is starting to lead some of these conversations yeah. on what does sustainability mean for space on Earth and, and you know, in space as well. Yeah. Maybe it's because things like launches are kind of dramatic. You know, when we think about space, we think about rockets. So people are interested in I mean, that, I mean and, and that is where most of the news coverage yeah. comes from. And there's a lot of news about the and, you know, uh, Virgin Orbit, for example. I was amazed. Exactly. That, I mean, launches are, you know, newsworthy and so the, the the media does cover them a lot a lot of the other things that um, the space industry does the way that we're you know transforming the fisheries industry for example or you know just it's just not as newsworthy it's not as interesting i, I think guess. it's interesting I, Hence well, I think it is too. And I don't, I don't know, yeah <laughs> we do and we go out to schools as well and again that's yeah. an area that we can work with other agencies on is being using space as an inspiration for people to Think about a career in in the sector. Yeah, it's nice. So you, you know, whatever you want to do in life, there's an opportunity for you to do it in space, mm -hmm. probably. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, even a barista. 
Absolutely. You can be. You can go and work for the Caterpillar. We've got Satchino, but there's an opening for Satellites. <laughs> exactly. Let's talk. I want to talk a little bit about your own personal favourite exciting things that have that, over the last of ten years. But before we do that, I just want to. I want to know a little bit about how the Catapult is changing in the in the, in the next ten years or going forward in the future. You've had ten years to kind of get an idea of how it's all going to work and things um, no doubt will have worked better than other things. There is, a going, to, there is going to be a, a sort of change afoot in this idea of basing things around missions. And I'm going to do a separate episode okay, about that. Yeah. But I'm just curious, like, what is what has motivated the change of direction that's about to happen or is happening now? And where it's where what the direction of travel might be. Okay, I mean, I think we've we've seen already from some of the discussion about how the challenges that we're facing and the problems that we've been trying to solve over the last ten years have moved on. And so, you know, these days we don't worry too much about getting venture capital engaged because you know they are engaged and and very active, and that's why we have such a vibrant system. So, you know, the work we did in those very early days to you know, to promote the sector to venture capital. We don't need to do anymore. And there's lots of other examples where, you know, we've done something to get something started, somebody else has moved in, picked it up, and, and okay, well, we move on to the next thing. So the frontier is forever moving. And, and I think the interesting thing about where we are now is, you know, with the satellite applications catapult, we've been largely focusing entirely on, you know, how do we use this space infrastructure in space to actually deliver benefits here on Earth? Because that's where the commercial opportunity is. But what we're seeing now is that there's a growing interest in you know, moving some of in the industrial capacity up into space itself. So what products can we start manufacturing in space? Can we start doing you know, pharmaceuticals experiments in space that will take advantage of the zero gravity environment? And you know, a whole range of industries now looking at the space environment itself as an environment to do business. Yeah. So actually for our attention as a sort of a commercially oriented organisation, as we see the frontier move, we're moving more into that space as well. And that, that, that's what's driving our shift to... Uh, but it to seems missions. like you, you, you've, you're trying to sort of simplify a bit rather than having lots of different things. Yeah. You're categorising them into broader groups. Absolutely. Is yeah. that... Yeah, because with space, we've done a lot of telling the story of the benefits of space. People have accepted it. Businesses are using it. We've got uh, a hugely vibrant economy now based on on the space sector. But actually focusing down and having a, a much more challenging future focus is is really exciting and will help drive innovation again under our mission-based approach. You're still very broad though, aren't you? You're still it's a broad church, the catapult. You have lots of things that I mean, you there's do. A, I mean the, the thing about the space industry is that it is very broad. Space yeah. is big, as you said already. Uh, and the and the scope for using space yeah. covers such a wide range of different industries. So we operate on we try and operate on both sides of the market yeah. boundary, as you say. The, we're generating the water as well as trying to move the horses towards them, uh, and uh, so and that will always be the case, I think, because I think as as technology moves, yeah. you know, the market or the opportunities in the market move, and people need help in understanding how they can take advantage of it. Right, favourite moment. So ten years has gone by. What, I'm interested in your highlights. Or maybe low lights. If you've just like, oh, that was terrible. I didn't no, I thought, we wouldn't still, kind of, we wouldn't be here if it were there were low lights. Can I just ask? Have you had a good? Has it been a good ten years? It's been it's been, it been a, a really quick ten years. I think I haven't. You know, time has absolutely flown by, and it seems crazy that we're coming physics. up to our ten year you know, ten you year see, anniversary. That's... You know, I we still remember when we used to walk into the building and. There would be so few of us around and now it's just that, you know, the campus that we're on in Harwell is full of space companies. It's full of organisations. It's got a little autonomous bus on campus. Oh, wow. so, you know, so much has changed. Facilities, the landscape that we operate in has changed. So, yeah, it's been quick. So you've seen so growth, really kind of that, that amazing growth. Joel, what about you? What's your... I mean, I have a very short attention span. And Sorry, what's your name? Yeah, right. And, and so the idea of staying in, staying at one company for 10 years, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, I, it wouldn't have seemed feasible. I have tabs on my laptop that have been open for longer than 10 years, I think. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and whilst, you know, I've done different roles that I've, I'm kept here because I'm constantly engaged and interested and inspired and like legitimately I follow the things that I find really interesting and and like Stuart was saying there are so many different things you can do so many different people you can talk to yeah. um, that that has kept me fascinated and every time I think about what might come next a new 
thing comes that makes me want to just keep driving it and keep working with different people. And so, yeah, that, I've had a, a, a great time of it. I look forward to more. And, you know, if I had to pick some moments, I think one, probably got two. I think one was, you know, doing the kind of user research as a, as a designer. There was a, there was a program that used to be funded by the UK Space Agency called the International Partnership Program, where it was taking UK capabilities and working with international partners to solve different challenges. And there were so many of those that were super interesting. One of them was in Malaysia around um, marine pollution. Mm. So, you know, going out to Malaysia, getting all these different, like, Department for the Environment and the Marine police and different bits of different organizations together in a room who had never really spoken to each other in one place, but all played these different parts of the same process of when you identify an oil spill and clean it up and trying to understand where's this opportunity for space technology. Because the people from the UK were like, we know we can spot oil from satellites. So there's obviously something great we can do, but the gap between a capability and a service that is really useful is, is big. Mm. And so taking these these groups through that process um, and getting to a point where I think the prototype of that, once it was running, was able to spot an oil spill that had occurred, alert the Malaysian authorities who could then intercept it. And, you know, it, it prevented millions of pounds worth of damage just through doing this innovation and doing this project. You know, it was a real tangible, mm -hmm. nice, like, example of something. And that, and that was just the kind of prototype version. So that that's probably one. And if I'm allowed to, to go on you for are. another one... You are. Go on, I'm, I'm it's full, your birthday. I'm on full, <laughs> full steam. When lockdown hit which, you know, seemingly a really difficult time for everyone. We didn't stop our engagements, our workshops, our events. We switched really quickly online. We were using virtual whiteboards. We were finding ways to use Zoom or, you know, Teams. And before there was a real mm, recognized way of doing this, we were just trying to champion it and we were trying to make it work. And we, you know, in many ways, there were a lot of important space sector activities that we were kind of driving. And there were lots of people who were saying, we don't know how this is going to work. And we did it. And I think we led the way in, in our, many our cases. Our Satachinos didn't stop. They carried on as a monthly networking event. It was unusual for us to just be hybrid, but we wanted to keep the community going. We wanted people to stay engaged, to know that we were listening, we cared about what they were up to. Mm -hmm. um, and so for us, yeah, moving to that kind of hybrid way of working felt awkward. But we've kind of maintained it now, and and I think it's helped us. We grew a, we grew space clusters while yeah. we were still in lockdown. It's really interesting how disasters, big geopolitical events, pandemics are real drivers of change because suddenly you're forced to change. Suddenly you don't have time to faff about and you actually have to do something. It's in, across lots of different sectors, I hear that same sort of story. Mm. Um, Stuart, you're on your way out. Yes. That's it. Ten years, have you just decided that 10 years is... I've yeah, done, I mean, I've done my time here. I mean, I, when I joined, I joined for three years, and then okay. I got sentenced for another three years, and that then sort of, you know, before you know it, 10 years has, has gone by. But I, I remember when, um, you know, when we were in very early days, somebody organised for us a, a visit from a number of, you know, all the Catapult CEOs, a visit from the Danish equivalents. I can't remember what they're called now, but they, anyway, they came and visited us. They did a tour around the, the different Catapults, and in our meeting at the end of that, um, one of the Danish CEOs, he said, um, the one thing that struck me by visiting all the catapults is how young and in fresh and enthusiastic everybody is. And it occurred to me that I'm still working with the same people I was working with 20 years ago. And that's a problem. And it's that's, yeah, that's the only thing that stuck with me from that conversation. And I, and it sort of, yeah, okay, this is something that, you know, is not, this isn't something I'm going to do for the rest of my life. It's a limited time. I need to make the make most of it as I possibly can. But when the time is right, I need to move on and let somebody else come in and bring some other fresh thinking and you know take us to the next stage. Okay. And that's what I decided. You know, that's where we are now. And just the future. And we have talked a little bit about this this redesign of the of the catapult. And we're going to talk about that in, in a future episode. But are you excited about? the future generally in terms of the space sector? I'm, huge, I'm hugely excited. I think we've created a really vibrant space ecosystem. Yeah. And I don't say that lightly. We've gone from having a big focus of building 
um, a community around ourselves in Harwell, but actually our jobs and, and our team's jobs have been to engage with all parts of the UK. So we now have a Welsh space cluster and a Scottish space leadership council and a northeast cluster and northwest one. We've got 17 different places that are supporting their own space story and it's locally driven, locally owned. And we're not having to push the message for space. Yes. We actually, you know, the communities themselves are driving their own growth around space. It's in local agendas, there's space leadership groups across the UK. That didn't exist 10 years ago. And we brought everybody together just yesterday up in Edinburgh to talk about opportunities between these different clusters because the UK is too small to compete with itself. And our cluster managers and the people that are part of them are all supportive of a way of working together and it's completely unique there is not another sector in the uk that can claim to be so well connected and working as a community something i'm completely proud of me too i should say i you know particularly particularly in scotland so i i I work with astro agency and do that and do their podcast and it's amazing just how passionate and how and how up for it they, they were are. with us yesterday well, as well. With yeah. Daniel and everyone. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, we talked before about trying to make the catapult like this soft landing, to, to use your term. You know, what we have now is that same landing almost everywhere in the UK. Yeah. You know, you can be a space business in Cornwall or you can be up in the Highlands or, you know, or wherever you are, there is a cluster near you. There are people who are trying to support you. And there are these national support programs mm. as well for, for business startups, for, you know, innovation. And it's it's connected and it's growing and it's ambitious. Stuart, it's been 10 years and you're leaving the catapult. Here's a ridiculous question for you. What Do you have a favourite moment? Do you have a kind of a sort of singular thing that, that you're going to take, you're gonna take okay. away with you and... and Cherish. I mean, I'll tell you, I mean, there's so many things that I'm proud of. I mean, we've talked a bit yeah. about the venture capital. Course, I'm really proud of the way that we've, you know, we, we, we were able to solve that challenge or help solve that challenge. I'm proud of all our spin outs. I think the thing that actually gives me most pleasure when people speak to me about, you know, how the catapult has impacted them and how they've been supported is when they tell me, you know, our people are great. Uh, and so I think the, the the underlying thing that will always live with me you know, in my time after the catapult is just the quality of the people we were able to attract. And actually watching people like Nafisa and Joel uh, develop and grow their own careers and expertise and become the people they've become. And you know, the, the number of people that we've got who've moved on in, into other roles in industry, is uh, yeah, it's, it's just been a fantastic thing to see. And that's the thing I'm going to remember most. I'm welling up. <laughs> so I wasn't, I wasn't expecting I mean, that. Right? No, it's, <laughs> and it's, it's true. It's the right time to confess yeah. something, right? Confess. Here we go. This years, is like years, years ago. Years ago, oh, no. Joel and I. Do you remember the pact? We made? What was the pact? Should we tell Stuart? <laughs> we. I, I think it was when we were thinking about you know as as the years were going on uh, mm. that yeah we we wouldn't leave uh, the catapult while Stuart was there before mm-hmm. before Stuart. We we wanted to be there mm-hmm. uh, and. And now we're at a bit of a loss. We really don't know what <laughs> to do. Since we heard you were, you were going, we said, what, what do we, yeah, what do we do now? There yeah. you go. Well, there you go. That's oh, been... my goodness, what have I done? I don't, yeah. <laughs> but, I'm, you know, of all, so of all the moments, I'm glad. Yeah, the people, I think, is, is what has made it over the years. I mean, some of my best friends that I've made have been through the catapult. And I know that isn't always the way at, at work as well. And I think there's it, it's been such a fantastic environment for for meeting people, for getting to know them, for you know people you just never would have met. The amount of rocket scientists and also like PhDs and people with expertise in these incredible areas that you end up meeting is just phenomenal. But put them through a sports day competition together, they have no choice, right? Yeah, so yeah, our yeah. culture has always been there to to create. We have a house system. You have a house, what, like, like Harry Potter. Like Harry Potter. Potter. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. With the what moons. house are you in? I'm in Ganymede, the best house. Mm. Oh, it's a space based. Mm-hmm. Yeah, moon, Ganymede is yeah. a moon based. So. Callisto, um, uh, Europa, and the best house, Io. Classic mm-hmm. moons. Which is, yeah, yeah. Um, and what? And is there is there good? 
healthy, healthy rival, rivalry or yeah, yeah, deep yeah, resentment and hatred it's a fine balance yeah. of the both uh, yeah, like, yeah. like many things but what it does is it helps you work with people you wouldn't normally work with right so everyone's allocated put, gets a sorting hat allocation of what house they come into and, and you immediately have a network of people that you can rely on and, yeah. and trust it's, it's, it's a really collegiate up. system it's a, these, are, these are important things mm-hmm. making people making feel, people feel that they belong to part of something mm-hmm. is a, I mean it's a amazingly powerful we, I mean th- we use it for um, you know you win house points for adhering to security policy and things like that oh so, really I, I do really badly but the real fun so. part is when you know at Christmas there, there's, there's a competitive 12 days of Christmas that everyone sings and it's all it's all you know the, whoever sings the loudest gets the most points it's, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. so it goes from one extreme to another but it's just yeah. it is just great fun I'm surprised that you would bring up Christmas because the last oh, Christmas now, oh, cool. competition IO was neck and neck with one of the other houses and, and the deciding factor came down to Stuart saying which which you know oh, it was on the turn of a competition the problem. I know heavy the problem is the Dumbledore but where's the crown yeah, yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. but no it, it's been fantastic great well listen thank you so much for coming in and, and talking about the, the last 10 years and all the exciting things and look forward to the next 10 years Stuart whatever you get up to chickens presumably are you going back to chickens I, I think there will always be chickens thank you very much indeed for, for coming in and good luck for the next 10 years thank you thank you very thank much thank you very much that's it for this episode thank you very much for your company to hear future episodes of In Orbit be sure to subscribe on your favourite podcast app and to find out more about how space is empowering industries between episodes why not visit the Catapult website or you can join them on Twitter LinkedIn or Facebook see you next time